This is Discography Discussion, episode 104, Society's Finest, presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you think seven years of momentum happened in a completely different band, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe, that is Dan, that is Jeff. The journey so far is 103 episodes and counting, gentlemen. Yeehaw! That it is, my friend. We are happy to be here. Kind of. (laughs) Do tell about the frustration that went into this week's episode. Thank God we have each other's uh, shoulders to lean on. because uh, And a group chat. Oh, God. Yeah, here's the thing. Society's Finest is a band that I remember being really good. See, this is why I know your perspective sucks. (laughs) I bought their album on new release Tuesday and I was like oh my god this is so great actually I didn't it came out in 2000 I heard about the band several years after that regardless I had a lot of really cool solid state records releases and this was one of them but no their first album came out in 2000 and I remember it being really cool because it sounded like Zao kind of like the vocals did and they sounded kind of like embodiment like some kind of mix between like early embodiment like embrace the eternal and, you know, more modern-day Zayo. So I remember thinking, like, oh, this is a really cool band. And I continued to think that all the way up until the present day when they're like, hey, Dan, what band should we talk about on the next episode? And I was like, let's talk about society's fucking finest. It's going to be a slam dunk. It definitely was, just not the one you were thinking it would be. Well, it would be like me trying to perform a real slam dunk in real life, which wouldn't go as well as you think it would. Yeah, we'd have to give you a trampoline. But I really want to see it. (laughs) Before I start telling stories about how this Dan can't jump, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening, and now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts equals a KISS episode. The KISS Discography Discussion. So if you want it to happen, leave us a review. Or better, leave us a review and tell us you don't want us to do it. Yes. Yes. That's, you know, if if enough people beg us not to do it, we can't help but listen to what they want. But we're not going to. We're going to do it anyway. I just want to see (laughs) Jeff after a week of listening to KISS. Well, I've probably listened to more Kiss than you have. How about that? Probably. It's okay. We know your wife loves Kiss. Well, Jesus, why don't you just go on Decibel Geek then? I can. I've actually been to a Kiss concert. Do it right now. All right. Let's do it. Call up Chris. Get let's it, get call it set Chris, up. Yeah. <laughs> we get a comment on episode 97, Nine Inch Nails. Disco Jesus loved the part about making fake cassette labels like praise music. That's great <laughs> podcasting. Also, I loved the Downward Spiral. That is back when it was released in 1985 by Fetus as Nail. Fotus, Fetus. I never knew how to pronounce that band name. I went from the gut. What can I say? I used to always be like, Fetus. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? But hey, (laughs) Disco Jesus, thanks for checking out the show, man. Uh, We're enjoying your comments, and uh, we're glad to have you as a listener. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Great screen name, too. We got a tweet from AC. On episode 98, Fit for a King, 
So I checked out Jeff's album, Fervor, by Cold Night for Alligators. It is, by definition, an acquired taste. And when I get comfortable with a particular sound, they pull a 180 and come out of left field with a completely different sound. I'll need a few more listens. Yeah, it is definitely all over the fucking map with those guys, but that's part of the reason why I like them. They're so damn spastic. It's fun. It's an ADD thing. What? Sorry, I was just thinking about something else. (laughs) Advanced? Never mind. So, speaking of spastic and all over the place, The Journey So Far by Society's Finest is an album that is absolutely the textbook definition of all over the place. But not in a good way. Not really. So, like, 2000 was a pretty pivotal year for Solid State, Tooth and Nail. And I will say that this record fit in all right with the other bands that were out at the time. You had Living Sacrifice was doing their metalcore thing. Embodiment had put out Embrace the Eternal two years before that. And you had also had Zayo doing the Zayo thing all the way through 2000. So a band like Society's Finest made sense. You have raspy, growly vocals that sound a little bit less like Zayo and a little bit more like Chris McCadden in Embrace the Eternal Embodiment. The difference being is that Embodiment was a great band that wrote interesting songs. Society's Finest on the journey so far had the typical early 2000s metalcore problem of play this riff for 10 seconds and I'll play this other one for 10 seconds. And bands like that could be successful if three out of five riffs were good. This band might have like one out of five were good. And there's actually moments on this record where they just stop and play some crazy shit and then go into like a pop punk part and then go into like this like heavy, brutal, like death metal part. And then they go into like some weird punky thing. And then they like end out the song on like a really shitty breakdown. I guess what I'm trying to say is the songs don't go anywhere. It's kind of like watching a uh, cartoon and you see the guy like getting pulled in like 18 different directions at once or trying to go all these different directions at once and all of a sudden smack he's right back in the middle and he didn't go anywhere. It was just tractionless bullshit and that's kind of what this album is. One of the most annoying tropes in metalcore for a while was the song that didn't go anywhere. The play the riff, stop, play the riff, stop. Under Oath, Shadows Fall, Coalesce, Converge, Cave In, Botch. But those bands were all great. So let's make the distinction. You know how I was saying like <laughs> three out of five riffs have to be good? Society's Finest was like, what do you guys got? Got, got 18 riffs? Can we fit that into three minutes? Okay, go. It's lazy songwriting. It's with no thought of, like, where do we want this song to go? What feeling are we trying to invoke with this song? It's kind of like we're all just stoked that we're up on stage together, and we have this dude with awesome vocals screaming over it. What's the difference between this and something like The Chariot or insert hardcore punk band that the whole point was to play the song for 60 seconds and stop? Because the songs are only 60 seconds. And I think that's a big issue here is that these songs go on way too long. And I'm not talking about the long ones. I'm talking about like the two-minute ones go on for way longer than they need to go on. And again, the vocals are great, and it's the only thing that keeps me on board. But it only keeps you on board kind of because these songs don't elicit any kind of feeling for me. They're just a collection of riffs thrown together with some drumming and screaming over it, and it just doesn't work. And that's my 2019 ears. When this album came out in 2000, I was like, this is pretty good. 
Yeah, you but were I didn't wrong. know anything about music. I just was like, well, yeah, it's heavy riffs and the vocalist sounds cool, and that's kind of all I needed. But now I'm kind of like, well, what was the point? What was the overall feeling that they were trying to invoke? And at the end of it all, it just sounds like a weird mix of embodiment and Zeo. And that's all it is. Whereas those bands all had little nuances about them that made them interesting. Society's Finest doesn't have any of that. The lyrics are kind of cool. They're kind of poetic. They're, you know, I think he's a good singer and he's a good lyricist. But these songs just don't carry that. Like, whatever the vision was is completely lost. And I wonder if it's just because he was at a loss for good musicians. And I think that's kind of the biggest piece of the puzzle here is that, like, sometimes whenever you start, like, a Christian hardcore band or a Christian metalcore band, you know, Joe and I ran into this. You're kind of at the mercy of what musicians are willing to play it. And I think that was the biggest problem with this release in particular is that, like, they just had people that had all these random fucking ideas and they threw them all together like they were all nice guys they're like oh yeah that sounds cool and I almost think that like this is the kind of band that if I'm at a show like let's say I'm going to see Living Sacrifice or I'm going to see Zeo and this band comes on stage like let's say a pop punk band opens the show and then this comes on I'm like oh cool I'm really into this but like at a live show I'm not like listening to the intricacies of the songwriting yeah i think this would be one of those bands if we saw live it, it would actually probably change our opinion on and i think that's just mainly because josh's vocals are just beyond sick yeah they're great yeah i mean talk about a waste of talent on an album or albums because this dude is a fucking machine it sounds great, and I like the way he weaves in and out of the riffs. Yeah, I do too. He just doesn't have a lot to work with. Right. It's like it's like whenever you have like that superstar on a losing team, <laughs> and like everybody's like, it's all the superstars' fault. I'm like, no, get him a better, better supporting cast, and maybe you get something. Put this guy in a better band, which we're gonna get to later. Yes, we will. <laughs> One of the things about this release, though, and I'm gonna disagree with Jeff, is that like if we saw this band live playing these songs we'd be like oh my god we would we'd go to the merch table immediately after the set we would buy the record might even buy a t-shirt buy some stickers be like dude society's finest holy shit they blew everybody off the stage they were great and then we'd go home and listen to it oh okay apparently this band is not as good as i thought they were and they could fool you because i remember the first song that they released was called knife fight that was the song I downloaded on mp3.com, and that's what got me into Society's Finest. This song's really unique in that, like, they, like, stop mid-song, and they're like, hey, what's a band people like? Hope's Fall. Let's do that. And so they go into this, like, really emo chorus. Not even a chorus. Can't really say that this band's ever had choruses. But it was, like, an emo segment, an emo part of the song. And uh, I thought okay i like this this has diversity this is cool and that statement's not wrong you can't say this album doesn't have diversity it's does it's diverse at a fault it is so diverse that it can't keep my attention longer than a couple of minutes because some of the good parts are really good but it's mostly just driven down by mediocrity and they came out in 2000 they went away in 2000 
and I don't remember anything else about the band until we decided to revisit them for this episode. Yeah, going back to your, uh, you think that you would lose? I don't understand it. You see, when what I'm saying is, you see them in concert, and you're gonna go, okay, this is a really good live band. There's plenty of you know musicians out there. Like whenever you listen to their stuff in the studio, and we're disappointed in it. But if we went and saw these albums live, we'd go, okay, this is actually a really good show. That's all I was trying to get at. I, I'm not saying that we we're going to like the CDs anymore, but we'd have a better appreciation from the band after seeing them live. I think that if we saw them live, we would have an expectation for it being awesome that would not be met by the studio recording that's supposed to support it. Yeah, or you, the you're, studio you're, recording that they're touring in you're support talking, of. You're talking as if it was the year 2000. I meant like if we went and we saw them tomorrow, already knowing what we have with these three albums. Well, maybe. Maybe I would enjoy it a little bit more. But, I mean, I, ha- I actually have seen Society's Finest Live. And? They were great. Obviously, that did not affect my opinion on these albums going into this episode. 2004. Love, murder, and a three-letter word. Hold on. You can't just jump into that. So let's talk about one of my favorite things to talk about, Zayo. <laughs> so in like 2003, 2004, Zayo was having some problems. They had basically disbanded. They had this weird show where they disbanded on stage, essentially. I remember Scott walked up to the microphone and was like, I don't know if there's going to be any more Zayo stuff after this. And it was this big thing. But then I guess it was 03. I was in high school. I was reading on message boards. Hey, guys, Zayo's back. And they're back with the Liberate lineup. If you don't know what that is, that's Scott Mellinger, Russ Cogdell, Rob Horner, Jesse Smith, and Dan Wyant. It's the quintessential Zayo. Up to that point, it was the Zayo that you wanted. However, a couple weeks later, Dan leaves the band. We're like, oh, no. Dan is Zayo. There's nobody out there they can do what Dan does except for Corey Darst but I think he was a little not wanting to join the band or maybe he didn't get the call so they're like well we got Josh Ashworth from Society's Finest to replace Dan permanently and I was like well that guy's got some sick fucking pipes on him and then I actually saw Zayo play live here in St. Louis at the old Creepy Crawl with Josh Ashworth on lead vocals and I was like this might be okay this guy's fucking sick. He's one of the best, like, Zayo-ish singers out there. I think this could be okay. And they went pretty far with him. They did a whole tour with him. They were going to record a new album called Bleed Beautiful. And it was going to, like, be Zayo with the Society's Finest stamp on it. Which is kind of funny because looking back on it, I'm like, well, I don't really want the Society's Finest stamp on it. <laughs> but at the time, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, that, that the journey so far, that was a pretty cool record. But it was like so far back in my memory that I wasn't really thinking about it objectively. And uh, they actually released two songs with Josh Ashworth on vocals. One of them was called 21st Century Thriller. And that song later went on to become The Rising End by Zayo off their Funeral God album. And the other one was called She's Not Leaving, She's Not Breathing, which was uh, went on to become Praise the War Machine off of the Funeral God so you could tell they were already starting to write the Funeral God material prior to uh, calling it that or having Dan's concept record 
idea thrown onto it. Love, murder, and a three-letter word is what came after Dan went back to Zayo. Two weeks later, Dan comes back to the band, and they're like, okay, bye, Josh. <laughs> is that seriously how it went? That was the end of that shit. Wow. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Would have been interesting to hear the album. Bleed Beautiful. There's part of me that's like, what would that have sounded like? Sadly, though, I think it would have sounded like love, murder, and a three-letter word. And I'm not okay with that. No, I'm not either, because I was kind of bored. Are we still just throwing together piles of riffs at this point? They're a little bit faster, but it's just a pile of riffs. Well, it's weird, because when you hear the song Vanity and the Gun, you're like, holy shit, this is heavy. Like, they've stepped it up. This is 2004 Metalcore Baby, so it, like the riffs hit harder, the breakdowns hit harder, the drumming's harder, the vocals are sick as fuck. And I'm like, oh my god, they're back. But then I get about, you know, two minutes into the song, and I'm like, wow, we've changed riffs like 18 times now. Okay, it's the same society's finest, and I'm struggling to find that to be a good thing. One of the major problems with that style of writing is you can't latch on to the riff. Not even a little bit. You By don't have definition, time. it's a live band that is only there to make an impact on your brain to get you to act crazy for the next 30 minutes. Yeah, so in a live situation, that's fine. But in this case, it's a huge detriment because this band is riding off of the coattails. I hate to say it, but like off of the Zayo thing. Like, hey, he's not in Zayo anymore, but he's in this, he's in this band society's finest that he's known for. And so we can expect to hear his brand of what Metalcore is in 2004. And you get that a little bit, but like the, only in the production. The songwriting is still completely all over the place. And it bothers me because you go into the next song, and the next song is like very generic 2004 Metalcore. You know, pop culture in Houston sounds like Azalea dying, which there might be a reason for that. Yep. As Tim fucking Lambesis was playing guitar in the band for a while. And this album, it's kind of hard to call it an album because basically what they did for this to get a release out is they took two of their EPs and added a couple of new songs to it, and that was the album. That was the 2004 release, so it's almost like a compilation. It sounds like they were contractually obligated to get something out, so <laughs> they had to hurry up. But unfortunately, it's all over the place. We call that the splinter shards, the birth of separation in this studio. Well, and I think it's really hard because you can't really say, like, oh, it's the newest release by Society's Finest, because it isn't that. It's, it's older material recycled in, and because there's been so many different fucking people in this band other than the vocalist, that songwriting never has the chance to breathe or to mature. So it's like, hey, I'm in Society's Finest now. What does Society's Finest do? Well, they play shit all over the place. There's no cohesion. No cohesion at all. Like, and I'm not saying that I don't like some of the riffs. Some of the riffs sound good. The vocals, again, are super sick and awesome. Like, it's the only thing that's holding it together, but it just doesn't do it for me. Like, initially, I'm drawn in by how much heavier it is than The Journey So Far, but that's just a production thing. That's just like, if they'd recorded The Journey So Far in 2004, it would sound like this. It's not that the band is better, it's just the production has made it better. It's more modern sounding. One of the main downsides for me is that there are better versions of this, and I don't even particularly like this style of writing 
the Riffarama. It's one of the greatest words Lars Ulrich ever put together. If I want to listen to it, there's better versions of it. I don't totally dislike the band. Not every band is going to be your favorite. I'm not really intrigued by anything in here. There's nothing in here that fills a gap. We talked about that on My Ticket Home. And the vocals are difficult to understand, which makes it even harder if you're not the lyric-reading type. Well, it checks all the boxes of Metalcore 100%. Like, they they nailed it, but it's old Metalcore. I would even say that at this point, it's an outdated style of Metalcore. You know, nobody was really doing this in 2004, which is kind of cool, but they're not doing it super well either. They're not like some industry pioneer that has come back four years later with like their newest opus. It's just like a whole bunch more society's finest songs and they're not compelling on their own and they definitely aren't cohesive when put together. And that's the problem with this band. This is the kind of shit that makes you a supporting band on every tour. You're never the headliner. I mean, there's nothing good going on. It's not like it's a total shit show, but it leans closer to shit show than you know, holy shit, I want to listen to this all fucking day. It's not like if I'm making a playlist and a Society's Finest song comes on that I'm going to be, like, pissed off that it's on there. Because maybe, like, individually, these songs are better than they are together. No. No, they're not. The only thing that's going is the vocalist. Josh is the only thing that's worthwhile. But that might be to a fault, because you keep on... You said... I, I didn't do as close of a research as you did. I know there was a lot of fairly big names that have you know floated in and out of this band uh, as time has gone on oh yeah so i mean is josh the driving force behind the band 100 well? percent. okay so he's he's his own worst enemy as well as being the best part of the band as well because if this is his vision you know the vision of the vocals is fantastic the rest of it just is is a big old no and that's just disappointing and it seems like that this isn't the first time we've had something like that happen where we've had somebody's quote-unquote brainchild and we've had where it's just not seen to fruition because it's not a team effort. It's mediocre. Yeah. Well, no, it, I think it's even a little below mediocre to be truthful with you. I think it's roadkill. No, I don't No, I think it's uh, <laughs> it's not even. It's in the first part of the road. Yeah. It's, it's like you're playing Frogger and you get hit by the first car. Exactly. <laughs> That's rough. It, it is not what I wanted. I wouldn't say it's that bad, but I would say that, like, this band is not compelling. And you buy this release and you're like, oh, okay, that's a thing that happened. And you move on. Like, I don't think that they were building a fan base with any of these releases. Let's get through the last one. 2006. Am I the drunkards? And, and I the uh, drunkard. See, that's how much I've had. I can't even read. <laughs> right. So nope, it's yep, just Joe, because I'm blind. I appreciate the sentiment. As I say, I didn't think Joe was the drunkard. I thought that was Dan. This is actually. Oh, he's definitely cut off for the rest of the night. This is actually a much better record than the previous two. I agree. It, it's it's not even close. It's like they at least went to like uh, half a semester of finishing school. Yeah, it's not amazing. Like, let me explain that. Like, it's better sounding. The production is good. I wanted this album in 2004, though. Yeah, and you didn't get that. You got a whole bunch of, like, shit that they had in the can already, which was, like, really obvious. 
And on this record, it's more cohesive. Like, I think that a band sat down and wrote this record, and it wasn't just like a string of members in and out coming up with random ideas and throwing them down. Because I think that's really the problem with this band is that prior to this, they were just whoever shows up. And that didn't really work out in the long run for them because it was very obviously that, like different playing styles thrown together with established playing styles and just the production overall was kind of iffy between each track. This record sounds like a band sat down and they wrote it, but again, it kind of reeks of a first record. I know this band has several past members. Is Society's Finest a band that just gets together and writes a bunch of riffs? Yes. So it's a greatest hits. It's Rammstein, only not nearly as successful. Yes. And I think with this album, too, is that even though it is more focused, the songs do have a more definite direction. It feels like a first album. It doesn't have that seasoned we've been around since 2000 sound to it. It sounds like, hey, guys, we're Society's Finest. Have you ever heard us? Um, We have this album out called And I, the Drunkards. It's our debut record. We hope you guys really like it. What do you guys think about the sound of this overall? That's what it sounds like to me. It's still better than the other two releases, but... That's annoying because I would definitely be more accepting of it as a first album than a third. It does sound like it was a collaborative effort for the first time. Instead of it just being, uh, here, let's just pick this out and that out. That sounds like some, some people sat down and try to hammer a few things out instead of just a hodgepodge. I disagree. I think it sounds like a collaborative effort that has direction for the first time, whereas previously it sounded like a collaborative effort with no direction. I've been in several bands, and I can tell you there is a huge difference between a collaborative effort that has somebody in charge that no matter how much everybody in the room contributes to the song, eventually somebody's got to say, do that, then do that, then play the chorus, and then we'll go back into that, as opposed to everybody just hanging out, playing the riffs, and then they kind of go together, and people just start inserting themselves in places that they think make sense because nobody wants to hurt anybody else's feelings, and because some people think if you tell them what to do that they don't have a say and it's not fun. It's a very elaborate way of saying when Dan's in the room and he says play the verse and then the chorus and then go back and play the verse and play the outro, you get better music than everybody just playing what they want and then, all right, guys, let's play live. I've done both. Well, yeah, I've been to band practices before where I've been like, what the fuck is that riff? Well, I just thought it would really spice the song up. And I'm like, yeah, but it sounds like the riff from a different song. Let's work on the song that we're working on right now. And then we'll talk about your other idea after we're done with this one. And that was something that was severely lacking in society's finest. It was just like, well, Bob came to practice and came up with this really cool riff. Well, fuck, if Bob showed up for practice, let's make sure it ends up in the final song. Because we're all inclusive here. And like maybe that's like a really positive vibe that everybody gets after practice. But like me as a listener is kind of sitting there like, uh, were you guys going to go somewhere with that riff? That riff you played 38 seconds ago was really cool. And I don't know where the fuck you are now. But I guess the point that we're trying to make is that I, the Drunkards, is not like that as much it is more focused like like more to what jeff was saying it's more focused it sounds like a real band sat down and wrote the album 
Instead of just a bunch of dudes that showed up. Exactly. Like we were talking about. Exactly. exactly. These are the guys that showed up the most times, at least. Right. <laughs> and I think that's been a big problem with society's finest since their inception, is just getting dudes to show up. Maybe they're leaving because they're like, oh, fuck, really? It's this? Wait. <laughs> yeah, you guys want to you join the band? Uh, yeah, dude, it sounds really cool. I like your vocals and everything. Uh, can I get a CD? Yeah, dude, we got two releases. We got uh, The Journey So Far and Love, Murder, and a Three-Letter Word. Go home and listen to that shit. And then, like, the dude doesn't answer the phone after that. So are we going to list all the bands that we have members of or previous members of? Because there's a lot of them on this one. No. No? I don't think it has any bearing on the band as a whole because there's nothing in the band that's ultimately redeemable. And the main reason anybody knows about this band, I would argue, is Josh Ashworth and his previous affiliation with Zayo, which is a band that every metalcore fan has some knowledge of. I think we should definitely read some greatest hits. Yeah, because I think it, the reason that people know this band is actually because of uh, two previous members. And neither one of them's first name is Josh. Well, you want to do it or you want me to do it? I'll do the two obvious ones. Okay, go ahead. Chris McCadden and Tim Lambesis. That is the two reasons that I think people know this band, or those two guys right there. Yeah, Chris McCadden was in Embodiment, which is interesting because I talk about how Josh's vocals remind me of a mixture of Zayo and Embodiment. It's funny that Chris McCadden was in the band because Chris McCadden did the vocals for Embodiment's Embrace the Eternal. Yep. Uh, and Chris went on to be in Demon Hunter, The Famine, and obviously was in Embodiment. Um, Nick Noel played guitar between 2004 and 2006. He was in The Famine with Chris McCadden, uh, which was kind of like Embodiment Part 2, like the old Embodiment. Uh, Tim Lambesis, I don't have to explain what he's been in. Um, Joel Bailey played bass uh, a lot in this band from 97 to 2003 and then 2004 to 2006. And he was actually in Sixpence None the Richer of all bands. Yeah, for a very short time. I don't think he actually recorded anything with them, but he was with them. Steven Poole, drummer, was in Inked in Blood, uh, which is a band we'll talk about on a future episode. And then the one that stood out to me was uh, Jason Rowe on drums, 2006 and then 2014 to 2016. Used to play drums for Between the Buried and Me. How many people do you think looked up Society's Finest because of anyone you just listed? A bunch of them. Yeah. And I think it's like, wow, this has got to be a slam dunk. Look at all these great people that have been in this band. But, I mean, what's the maximum amount of time anybody spent in this band? A year? Two years if they're really dedicated? Like, dude, we could turn this around. But I just feel this overwhelming sense of like, oh, shit. I'm in a band that's supposed to be really good, but the reality doesn't match the hype and i don't know if there was even any hype for this band i think this band's history has been a struggle i think josh ashworth is in the center trying to keep it all together and just can't i think he's tried and he's tried and i think he sounds good i think he's great i think josh ashworth i hate to say if it would be a really great replacement vocalist for an already established band but if any of the songwriting issues are his fault that sucks. He shouldn't be part of the songwriting. Uh, but I don't think it's necessarily his fault. I think it's just, oh, my God, these guys showed up to play. Let's play. And uh, the only other thing I have to say about In Eye of the Drunkard is that 
it's a much more solid album than anything we've gotten from the band before. But it's like if you're still on board in 2006 and you've been listening to this band with bated breath since 2000, I don't think that And I, The Drunkard is going to blow your mind. And I'm starting to wonder if after three releases, if that's ever going to be on the table. Final thoughts on Society's Finest. Dan. I mean, I think I just said it, but... uh, Jeff, what about you? Waste of talent with uh, with Josh's vocals. I, I really, really like his vocals, but the music sucks so bad that it's just hard to, to put up with the rest just to listen to him. It's really a disappointment. And if that is like what Dan said, you know, a big chunk of his fault, that's uh, disappointing. Unfortunately, I think Society's Finest is a curiosity at best. They are a band that exists. And if you have knowledge of them, it's probably because they had a member at some point that was in another band that you like. For most people, I would argue that's Josh Ashworth because of the Zayo affiliation. Obviously, he's not the only person. Sometimes it's fun to look at a band that your favorite band member person was in for a point in their career. For the most part, though, you find out there's a reason they're not in that band anymore. (laughs) And I think Society's Finest is an example of a band that hasn't gone anywhere, isn't going anywhere, and I'm glad there's better music from the people that have been in it. Jeff, what's your album of the week? Well, I'm going to go back uh, a couple episodes uh, because this band has had an earworm of an entire album, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it in the time since, and that is Unreal by My Ticket Home. Dan, what about you? Manner of Infinite Forms by Two Mold. What an awesome band. It is a cool band name. (laughs) I had such a good time talking about Me Without You last week and listening to My Ticket Home a couple weeks ago. Society's Finest kind of put me down a peg, so I decided to listen to Five Iron Frenzy, Engine of a Million Plots. Nice. The record that happily returned Five Iron Frenzy to the world of, I get to say rock, right? Because what they do is rock. it's fine. It's fine. It's entertaining as hell, even when it's joking. And on that note, this has been episode 104 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash Metal. We have some sweet perks. Give me the money.